Hello, and welcome to Future Tech Chat. Every week on Future Chat, we sit down to talk about science and technology, with the discussion centered on a new and exciting topic in one of those two fields. My name is Robert Trell, and I'm joined, as usual, by my cousin Mike. We're just a couple of tech enthusiasts who love to learn and talk about the latest and greatest science and tech developments. I hope you're excited to join us today while we talk about computing. We're extremely fortunate to be joined today by Nicholas Maddox, a man whose lifelong love of Linux leaves a lot of us wondering, why, Nick? Why? Just a few of the topics we hope to cover this week are, what are the pros and cons to early adoption? How did the open source world affect the mainstream PC market? And where might current trends in computing lead us in the coming decades? Join us as we jump headlong into the future of technology. It's going to be a fun show. All right, guys. We're, we're good here. I'm going to fade this just like you asked me to. <laughs> How's everybody good doing? Feeding. It's very good feeding. <laughs> I'm doing great. That's good. I feel free today. Yeah. Freedom. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. Interesting. That's that's actually a very convenient segue because we're gonna be talking about open source technology. <laughs> oh, there. Which, that's fair. That's which is free. Wow. <laughs> Weird how that works. Um, Rod, that was so transparent. I could read you like a book. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the puns have started. It, yeah, we're becoming MythBusters now. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, you had the good idea this week that maybe we should do a roundup of our show from two weeks ago, which was looking into what devices were coming. It was actually Kaya, which is, you know, the... I mean, you guys are basically one and the same at this point. <laughs> looks, Excuse looks me. Wise. <laughs> Especially looks-wise, I think that's... Yeah, okay. the beard, the hair. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, what do you guys think? How, how does that sound? I'm down for that. Yeah. Let's do it. Sounds good. So where should we start? Does anybody have any ideas? <laughs> we should talk about the iWatch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we can talk about the iWatch. I, I don't know if either of you read the thing that I, the John Gruber article that I posted about how Maybe. the iWatch is is not a smart watch at all, and it's actually a, just a watch that happens to connect to your phone. Uh, and that they're, they're making ones that are actually not gold-plated and gold or gold-colored, but are actually solid gold, and so they're going to be tens of thousands of dollars. And that's kind of an interesting computer trend in that it's not necessarily the first uh, tech device to be really expensive just for the sake of fashion. Like, people have, have gold-plated iPhones before with real gold, and, and they've sold them for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars even, or encrusted them with diamonds, things like that. But uh, it's the first mass-market company to, to go into that, to make a foray into that, as far as I'm aware. Uh, there, was a, there was a Virtue smartphone that came out uh, one or two years ago that was marketed to sort of the higher end. I think it was $9,000 or something. But this is the first sort of targeted towards at least the mainstream. There's going to be a low-end Apple Watch that's $350, but it's going to be the bare minimum plastic band, stainless or aluminum uh, actual timepiece. So what do, you, what do you guys think about the... Nick, I guess we'll start with you since you were so interested to talk about the Apple Watch. Uh, what are your thoughts as someone who hates Apple and 
loves watches? Do you? What do you think about watches in general? I. I think <laughs> I fall on the side of uh, XKCD's Randall Monroe when I remember 2006 to 2014 as that brief time period in which our wrists were free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's very that was a very apt comic. I also have a pocket watch that Kai gave me, so I'm I'm happy with that as my watch. Is it an Apple Pocket Watch? No, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> Had to think about that one for a second. Yeah, the, the iPod Nano is basically an Apple Pocket Watch at this point. If if you want to think about it, it's the same basic size and shape. Plays yeah. music though. This one plays music. If you have speakers. No, the iPod Nano does. My my pocket watch oh. doesn't, is the point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what do you think about the concept of them of a tech company moving into the fashion world where they're going to be selling high-end goods that are made with premium precious metals? It stinks of Am- Apple, honestly. Like, it's less a functional piece of equipment than a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of it's kind of weird how their their approach has been like you know you had Samsung be the the early entry into the market with their their watches and then you had Sony and then you got everyone else this past year or two but you have you have these devices setting precedents and expectations for what's to be seen from other companies and then you have Apple releasing theirs and once people start saying oh it, it doesn't do this it doesn't have this they're like, whoa, 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 guys! It's it's not supposed to be that, but it's kind of like that. That's kind of a cop out, I think, because they're not they're not giving the people what they want. They're they're like, no, this is what you want. This is you guys have it all wrong. You're having the wrong approach to this. Look, it's all shiny. Like that's pretty good. Like I don't know. Right before in the, when that's happened. Live the eye life, guys. Come on. They've been on the right see, side of history before. But see, they've they've made devices more functional and given given us what we actually do want as opposed to going against the grain in the wrong direction. And I think I think I think like it's a just a different approach to it. It's it's not I'm sure there's people that want, you know, a shiny watch as opposed to like a functional one. But I think at this point in time when you're trying to win over people, like I think the only thing they have going for them right now is that it's the only one that works with Apple devices. Yeah, and it works only with Apple devices. Right. Yeah. So it has that exclusivity, and and it's almost a way to like show people that you have an iPhone by wearing this Apple Watch, and it's like. Yeah, I mean, in addition to the traditional ten-year-old, like if you have white earbuds, you have an iPod, an, an iPod or an right. iPhone. But now everyone does white earbuds. Yeah. Well, not everyone, but yeah. No, yeah. everyone does. <laughs> Not everyone wears them, but everyone I, has at least one version. I'm wearing black earbuds right now. But Every you could be wearing white ones if you wanted to. That's true, I could. <laughs> um, man, so that kind of leads nicely into early adoption, which is another computing trend that we had, had intended to talk about. Um. I definitely am an early adopter of technology, not just software, not just hardware, like a, a new watch or a new whatever, but just software in general. Like I really like being on, on top of the trends. Uh, 
Mike, do you want to talk a bit about your thoughts on early adoption? You you wanted to have an episode just on early adoption, so we'll see if that needs to happen based on the next five words out of your mouth. Yeah. I still I still maintain that we should have one. So oh, no, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do we even need to talk about it right now? That was like six or seven words. Crap, Mike. Crap. Come on. My 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 take on it is there's pros and cons for it, and and I really want to be an early adopter, but it's not my it's not my default mode. I'm I'm too re I reason out my purchases way too much to just go and buy something just because it's new and shiny. Like I want to be that guy, but I'm not. Like I I'm just yeah. not. I guess I'm the same way in that I, except I go the opposite direction. Like, I am very reasonable, and, like, I reason it out in my head, but my decision is always, yeah, I need it. I got to get that thing. <laughs> okay, well, look at the Moto 360. I was, like, so psyched for that when I yeah. when it got announced. I was, like, I'm buying one the second they release it. And then you had the people who did their hands-on, and they actually got them before they were released, and they're like, ah, it's okay. And then they got released, and everyone was like, man, this thing is way below expectations. You know, they're like it's the best one available right now, but they, there's so much room for improvement that it's like, like I want to have one just because it's cool. But I know something better is coming. So, and and I think that's my issue with technology is that it moves so fast that any time you buy something, like a week later, it's like old again. Yeah, and there's something like, better. There's something better. Maybe not a week, but certainly know, within years. Feels like something. a week. Yeah. So are um, we saying early adoption with just tech, or like? Can I go into my wind mobile story? Sure. Yeah, we go should for it. actually. Die. I was an early adopter of wind mobile, and their network just was not up to snuff. I gave up when I realized I didn't have cell signal at work, and I didn't have cell signal in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're getting a lot better, and they actually recently signed agreements with Rogers. Yeah, or was it Rogers? Uh, maybe both. Maybe Rogers and Bell slash Telus. I thought it was some like other investor group took them up. They, they have though, like they have an investor, but no, no, they've signed agreements with Rogers to piggyback oh. up their network mm -hmm. for, for as much as for as little as it costs to roam or to roam on uh, Rogers' network itself. Like if you're a prepaid customer. Okay. That I I wish them all the best. I really like what they've done because it was only after the entrance of uh, like Wind and Public, and I think there was another one. It was only after they came in that, like, I think it was Rogers released Chatter or something mm -hmm. like that, yeah. and they finally started dropping their mobile prices just a little bit. Oh, yeah, and Bell has Solo, and there's a bunch of, like, Kudo there's is... Kudo, Telus, and then... Yeah. No, but, like, uh, Kudo, Telus, Fido, slash Virgin all predated Wind. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they did. Yeah. See, when I saw the the wind, you know, twenty dollars unlimited everything, like I knew it was a too good to be true, kind of like there's a catch to this, and well, it depends. And I started on hearing about, but see, it's not only just coverage, but it's like the speeds themselves, like yeah, the speeds themselves are not comparable. In, weeks. in this spring, I tried it out on the Nexus Five, and it was really good. Like the service was fine. It, I didn't have the experience that you did, Nick, where you couldn't get service, but I also the network speeds weren't as fast as what I was used to, and it wasn't... Uh, they don't have any LTE to speak of, so you're not getting the faster speeds. And even on HSPA+, Plus, it wasn't as fast as I would have expected. Mm. It was it was throttled in some way, whether it's at, on their end or whether it's on the phone end. 
So Rob, why don't you talk about your your recent early adoption venture and uh, tell us how it's gone so far? Can I just before I forget about it, Mike? Did you early adopt a new camera, or is that your webcam on your computer? That's my computer one. Because it is, it looks crisp. It looks oh. much crisper than it ever has, and I'm wondering well, if it's a Hangouts upgrade. Well, you can thank Apple for that. If they've done one thing right, it's their cameras, I guess. Their cameras are very good. Yeah. Um, and as I segue into that, I bought this basically because of the camera. Uh, Actually. Yeah, I, well, because I, w- I was reasoning out trying to buy a camcorder, but I wanted to get yeah. a, a nice enough one that it was going to serve me for a few years. And every year the iPhone camera and the video camera specifically gets you closer and closer to camcorder quality. And so one of the things that they put into the most recent one is video autofocus, which is automatic. And and I didn't, until about a month ago, before before they announced this phone... Sorry, for those, for those who don't have video, maybe clarify what it is we're talking about, because I don't think you've actually said it yet. So, <laughs> I picked up the iPhone 6 yesterday. There you go. We're trying to draw people to the video feed. (laughs) I I was just kind of waving it around. That's true. Um, So I was was shooting a music video in July, the end of July, and in August I I was working on editing it, and I just actually finished this week. And I was looking through the footage from the phone and realized that when I wasn't sitting, when I wasn't looking into the viewfinder, because I was trying, to, I had a tripod and I was getting some what I call crane shots, where the the camera's six feet higher than me, and looking at them from above, uh, it doesn't autofocus video. You have to tap the screen if you want to refocus, with the 5s and with all the previous generations, and so I didn't until I got to look at the the footage way later. I didn't even notice that it happened. Like it was it, everything was out of focus on in those shots. And so right away I was like, oh man, it doesn't do it, it. Like it keeps the focal length once you hit the shoot video button. It doesn't. It keeps the focal length until you tap the screen to refocus out, uh, manually. And so now this phone can do it automatically. And I did some test videos where I shot sort of like I was moving around, moving lengths, and looking at stuff up close and far away. And like I did this yesterday, and it's not even. There's no comparison. It's crazy, and I didn't even realize it but it's so beneficial to have. Like, I've been technically not ruining videos, but I've been having this deficiency that now my videos are going to be way better. And that's just one small way. They're, they make so many improvements every year with camera technology to the point that they even now, uh, it's been much talked about, but the camera actually bumps out a little bit from the device. I'm not be able to see it, but... Uh, just have the... Like, they clear the picture... Uh, the clarity of the picture depends on how far apart the lens and the actual camera um, sensor are. Mm. And so they made the entire device thinner, but they left the camera popping out a bit, hoping, like, the, with the trade-off being that you're going to get a much better quality picture and you're going to have this little, like, half-millimeter bump. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. concession's uh, fine for me. Yeah. I was shooting a video on my Nexus 4, and it, it <laughs> auto-focuses video, but I found that it, it actually fo- auto-focuses too often, yeah. and it'll refocus, 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 refocus every time the camera moves, and it's like, I don't need you to auto-focus every single, like, second, <laughs> but, I don't know, I guess 
David, you want to sacrifice the quality of your data, Mike? I know. (laughs) I know. That that reminds me of your unpublished unboxing of the Nexus Four, where everything is out of focus. (laughs) Right. But see, granted, that was my neck. That was my iPhone Five. Yeah. That was recording that. Which didn't do a lot of issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is yeah. It's funny. Uh, so yeah, but so far I'm not set. I'm keeping the 5s for now. I'm not 100% set that I'm going to upgrade, but there are compelling reasons that are w- the other one of which being space. So I upgraded to the 64 gigabyte one, and I'm never going to look back if I keep it because I shoot a lot of video, and so and this this new phone can do 240 frame per second slow mo which is just going to take up so much space because I'm going to have so much fun with it. <laughs> I did some I did some tests because I was at the office, so all I had really w- that I could do without making a bunch of noise was a water bottle, so I just, like, slow-moed shaking the water bottle around. It looks so cool. Like, everything looks cool in slow-mo. <laughs> so if I could jump in here, I think this might be a good time to segue into fanboyism. It is. Are we not already there? <laughs> But I'm not. I, well, we're all fanboys of different things, but I believe Rob is having a little fanboy tastic. But I'm I'm not necessarily I, like I know I am a fan of Apple products, but I wouldn't say I'm an Apple fanboy in that like I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna troll people who like Android because I really like Android too. But also, I'm also if, not gonna feed trolls when Android people go like. There was there was a couple posts that I well there were a lot of posts, people, <laughs> line, people lining up for the iPhone six yesterday or, or overnight waiting in line for twenty six hours or whatever, and I didn't do that. I'm never gonna do that. I made a, I was a reasonable human being and I went in the morning the day of the pre-orders I went and I hit reserve and then I walked into the Apple store when it, like there was line of like twenty people. Uh, Again, there's a separate line of people that were waiting that had done nothing, that just walked up and got into like a 500-person line or whatever that went, it, like it was in the mall, went down one mall hallway and then down out to the exit and then down the street a block and then turned the corner and then I stopped looking at how long the line was. <laughs> and I think like you're, I, I, I will buy that maybe you're not quite what we would typically associate with a fanboy. Because the fanboys were in that line, and you were an intelligent human being, yeah, and actually, yeah. you know, demonstrated some foresight. Before we move on from fanboyism, I also want to ask why fanboyism is spelled with two eyes in the uh, in the notes. In the notes, yeah. So I was channeling Avril Lavigne. Really, is the only explanation I have, and I like the double I. So the spelling was aesthetically pleasing to you. Oh no! <laughs> Can I change it? Is it too That's late? That's what I'm hearing. No, I just thought it. I just thought it was funny. I was making a little joke to myself, and I thought you guys might appreciate it. So I'm. No, I just want to let that sink in, Rob. <laughs> no, no, you can't make that argument. I get what you're trying to do. I don't like it. <laughs> I, this is aesthetically pleasing. So you see what I'm trying to do, and you don't like it. You get, <laughs> but you have no actual good objection. No, I mean it's it's a choice. <laughs> you can choose if you want an I or a Y in fanboyism, and I chose an I because I thought it was funny. 
Now you've ruined the joke because I had to explain it, and <laughs> you've called me out on air. <sighs> so confusing. I was going to say, speaking of freedom, <laughs> there's, uh, I, there's another okay. topic we wanted to talk about in the show. Can I say one more thing about fanboyism? Because it is a real thing. There are people that will just go and blindly buy the next tech thing. I like to think of myself as an extremely informed, almost to a fault. Like, if I didn't know so much about this phone, I wouldn't be compelled to upgrade. Like, the reason that I'm compelled to, or at least to want to, is because I know so much about it and I know all the improvements inside and out. Rob, if I was to call you, or if I was to describe you as a fanboy, it would be of technology in general, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure I know someone who is quite as excitable as you are about these things. Very true. Mike, close second. <laughs> Look can't at that compete. camera quality. Can't compete. <laughs> well, no, like, how can you compete with the guy who, like, wandered around with two phones for a while? I don't even try. <laughs> two, a while. <laughs> I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> The one is actually, well, it's at 1%, actually, which is pretty impressive, because I used it a lot yesterday. So have we talked about, like, the pros and cons of uh, early adoption? Uh, the, we pros, about the pros, that it's nice and shiny and fast and great, and it'll be great until, you know, I mean, everyone else catches up? The, yeah. the iPhone, my purchase is an example of early adoption, I'm not, or a, an example of fanboyism. I'm not sure it's, a, it's early adoption, because this is a very refined product. Okay. If you bought the Apple Watch first generation, that would be early adoption. Yeah. Let's, this is just actually, there was the beta life. version of Windows 8 that you tried. That was early adoption. That was absolutely early adoption. I tried the latest. I'm on running the beta of Mac OS as well right now. Yeah. Which I, think, I imagine was okay. Like, I tried doing yeah, a beta version of a Linux distribution once, and whoo, buggy. Yeah, Windows... Windows and Mac betas are fine now. They get to the point that if, they, if they're if they releasing a developer preview, it's good enough that you can use it every day. When I think cons of early adoption, I think more of the, the random kind of infographics that you see pop up where it's like, oh, the first computer was $50,000 and 50 people bought it or whatever, right? And it's like, you know those 50 people are suckers because like, <laughs> the computer couldn't do anything. Right, so it's like, and but they were early adopters. They they jumped on that computer bandwagon right off the bat, and they were cool. And they had what was the latest and greatest. But when you look at how much we were paying for technology back then versus now, like you know, even even phones. Like our parents were in the age of the dawn of mobile technology, and if they wanted to, they could buy a phone for like five thousand dollars, like a mobile phone. But now you pick one up for 50 bucks prepaid and you're set and it can do more than those phones could back when they were first released so it's kind of that well when I think of cons of early adoption that's kind of what I'm thinking of you can look at say like the Pebble watch too right that was kind of like the first smart watch quote unquote but it still it couldn't and really still can't do a whole lot compared to what we want our watches to do now yeah um so, you know, it's, it's a fairly, quite a bit lower of an investment than, you know, a couple thousand dollars, but it's still one of those, like, you know, I wanted a Pebble, but once I started seeing, you know, the Sony smartwatch come out, then I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, maybe I want that instead. And then, after seeing reviews of the Sony one, then it's like, okay, maybe I'll wait out a bit longer, and then I'm still here and still waiting, so. 
Because you are not an early adopter. No, I'm not. No, that's true. But you, you are an early observer. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised you haven't gotten a smartwatch yet, being the early adopter you are. Yeah, but I haven't seen anything compelling yet. That's true, and that's why I haven't got one either. Yeah, I've used... Well, for me anyways, I'm sure there are people that have use cases for them, but like having Google Now on my wrist doesn't compel me enough. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, the, And from the 360 reviews I've seen, it's essentially just Google Now on your wrist. Yeah. And for me, Google Now hasn't been super functional. For what, what, When I go to it, it's like, like parking my car. Like, I'll go park at a mall, and I come out looking for my car. I go to Google Now, and it doesn't show me where I parked. But then I get home, and it says, hey, you parked at home. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate letting me know that my car is right outside. <laughs> it's there, there are functionalities, and like for Siri, for instance, I use a lot because, I, again, because I've done a bunch of research, I know exactly how that voice processing system works, so I don't ask it for things I know it can't do. So I don't get the frustration that a lot of people have where she can't answer, she, I'm going to anthropomorphize, but she can't answer their questions because she's not programmed to do that. Whereas I only ask simple things that I know she's designed to answer. Yeah, I pretty much just asked my phone to set alarms for me. That's kind of, that's, that's fail-proof. That yeah. works every time. Yeah, timers as well for me yeah. when I'm cooking or putting something in the oven. Yeah. Like uh, after a nutrition episode, the pizza, that's... That's the last time I used the timer. <laughs> my, um, my audio just completely cut out. Oh. That was awesome. Is anyone talking right now? Can I jump in? <laughs> Go, Go for it. Sweet. Uh, Apple, specifically, and all the other smartwatch companies, if you're not exciting Rob, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> The Apple Watch does excite me in theory, but I might do the thing if I if I get it at all. I might do the thing where I wait till second generation, like I did with yeah. the iPad. The first iPad didn't thrill me. I thought it was kind of a waste of time. And I, looking back, the first one was a waste of time because the second one was really awesome in comparison. Yeah. Fair enough. If if the Apple Watch had GPS, I'd be all over it. Yeah. Personally. Well, I would if, if the Apple Watch had GPS. I would strongly consider selling... If it was a standalone product, I would strongly consider selling my phone and just yeah. have that. Yeah. I think standalone products are still a little bit off, and you're going to have to compromise size and battery life for that, for sure. We're going to get to the point where inductive charging, which is another great technology, and, and there is an open-source version of inductive charging. Uh, battery technology is going to keep improving all of those things are going to get better. You're, you're looking puzzled, Nick. What's going on? How is inductive charging technology is open source? There's a product. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I think it's called Qi. Qi? Okay. I think it's Qi. Okay. I've heard people pronounce it Qi. So Qi. Yeah. It's, as far as I know, it's an open source wireless charging protocol. Oh, so it's an open source Andrew. protocol. Yeah. I see. Now, tell us, Rob... What does open source mean? I I think you should explain it better because I'm going to explain it wrong. <laughs> well, you see, Rob, your transparency right there is a good example of open source. <laughs> you didn't hide anything or put a wall between uh, us, the viewers, and your understanding. You just completely put it out there, which is, which is exactly what open source is. 
See, I knew that that was happening. (laughs) (laughs) So meta. (laughs) It was on purpose, guys. Yeah. Go go ahead, Nick. I want to hear your definition because it's much more informed than mine is. No. Uh, Well, I don't know. What we'd be talking about is, like, free things. Like, software is a good example of where you would often find open source. And there's free as in beer. So you just get it for free. That's freeware. Uh, what's a good example of freeware? iTunes. Okay, yeah, iTunes. You can get it for free, and it's great, and everyone's happy. However, you can't get the source code of iTunes because that's proprietary information. Mm-hmm. But if they just freely gave out the source code, then it would be open source software. Which is better it's freedom, uh, for free me, as reason. in speech. Yes. Well, I, is that a good example? Is it free as in speech? You can put whatever you want in the code. Like, I don't know if that's a good analogy. <laughs> I saw that written there. And <laughs> well, no, that, that's yeah. the standard explanation of what open yeah. source is. It's free as in yeah. speech rather than free as in beer. Like free speech versus free beer. Right. Yeah. Free beer They're is just like giving it yeah. to you, but free speech is just, you know, it's an expressive... Medium. Freedom, yeah. Right. So, Nick, you are a massive, massive proponent of free, I guess, free speech in that you like you love open source software. I certainly do. Um, <laughs> yeah, just dead air. Like, you no, love it, open source, Nick. Isn't that true? Yes. So, as, yes, as it is. Adoption, you said we should do an entire episode on open source. And so here you get five words... So, for those of you who can't see, Nick is showing us a new Ubuntu backpack. <laughs> you might say I'm a bit of a fan. Was that free as in beer? Well, Santa Claus gave it to me, so for me, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, in addition, I know that the three of us use Chrome, for instance, which Chrome is not open source, but they, there is an open source project that Chrome is based on, which is called Chromium. So that kind of in itself is an interesting distinction between free and open source. Well, that's, um, that's how a lot of open source companies will operate. They'll have, well, I mean, you don't pay for Chrome directly, but... Uh, like, Chrome would be an example of, like, the product that an open source company would offer, and then Chromium would be the open source thing that, like, people tinker with, it gets better, you know, people cut out the features that aren't working, people embrace the new features that do work well, and then, you know, all the stuff that works really well goes into the actual product, like Chrome, and people dicker around with Chromium to their heart's content. Yeah, it's like uh, I think Red Hat is the company that does that. They Red have Hat, yeah. Red Hat Enterprise Linux is a operating system that adopts a lot of the features of their open source version of the software called Fedora. Yeah, which is a good example of a Red Hat if you ever read Fedora. Yes, I believe that is the pun they're shooting for. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't know if either of you have ever used Chromium, but I used it for a bit 
and it's pretty much it, it basically is just an unChrome styled version of Chrome. Have either of you, Nick? I imagine you would have had to try it. How could you have not no. tried Chromium? Uh, uh, well, wait. I might have used it briefly before Chrome was available for Ubuntu. Right. Because so, because naturally, like people got a hold of Chromium and they were like, "We need to put this on Linux." And so <laughs> that happened for a while, and then eventually those features got incorporated into the actual Chrome browser, which is just much more stable. So I started using that instead, or at least that's how I recall it. I very may I very may well be wrong. Yeah. One of the interesting things, do you guys both use Chrome daily, right? Of Mike, you said you don't use Chrome on desktop very often. Not as often, no. Um, what do you use so on desktop? Well, my work gets us to use Internet Explorer. <gasps> I know. It's, it's <laughs> the devil. But yeah, you need to, you need to get uh, on that. Other than it, that I, I, is it Internet Explorer 6, too? Is it, like, that bad? No, we're updated, but... Like 8? Woo! Nine. A lot more Chrome-like than the older versions, but still. Yeah. yeah. So Chrome updates itself automatically, which is one of the hugest things about it. Not like for me, I'm going to keep things updated. I've written blog posts about keeping things updated, but Chrome updates itself. When you close it or when you restart your computer, it will automatically install any updates that it had pending. And so you're always on the latest version. If you're connected to the internet, that's what you're using. Um, there are beta versions of Chrome that are going to update even early, even more often. There are updates on the developer version of Chrome that are going to update even more often. And then Chromium updates itself every day, if not several times a day. Ooh, wow. Every time you open the browser, it's a different version. Like, it's slightly <laughs> tweaked. Um, so one of the things, one of the Chrome experiments that was talked about a lot when it first happened, which I think was June-ish, May or June, was they were... Uh, taking the URL in the browser and shrinking it, basically hiding it under a button that just had the, the first part of the URL before any slashes or anything. So, like, I'm on a page that's docs.google.com slash whatever, 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 but all I see is a little button that says docs.google.com that I click on that. It will open the whole URL into the Omnibox. And so, Nick, you look confused, but it was publicized a lot in the tech news and so as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Safari already does that on my phone, and it has for a year. And it's the newest Safari on Mac will also do the same thing, where it'll just shorten and just show you the main URL. It's a lot harder to fish uh, if you just have that, because that's all. If it's all you see, and it, it's like example.com, you're going you're gonna to be like, well, that's not the site that I wanted to go to. Whereas there are, there are URL disguising techniques where they put a bunch of stuff before so you get like apple.example.com and you'd think that like if you were uninformed you might think that you're on apple.com unless you pay very mm. close attention and so I've been using it since it came out I switched that on and I've left it on and I really like it but there are a lot of people who don't and there's talk of it being removed from yeah. well, there are a lot of people who dislike change in general so yeah so I, I don't I don't listen too closely to them I think that's the way the web is moving to the point that everything is sort of almost like an app so Google Docs is an app. And so all I see here is docs.google.com because that's where I am. I don't care what the specific URL is. Like, if I do go click on it, all I see is google.com slash a slash robotrial.com slash document slash d slash... You, you don't have to read the whole thing. The whole, 
the whole ID. You don't want me to read the 64-bit. <laughs> capital A, capital B, <laughs> six, lowercase t. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like that. That's not necessary. So I like just having the docs.google.com because it lets me see where I am. It situates me, but it doesn't give me a lot of information I don't need. But it is there if I just click on it. Mm-hmm. And so that's one example of the work that open source does. That's to tie it back into open source. Is like they'll they'll be able to do things, and so that that option is actually you have to go and manually turn it on if you're in Chrome. Yeah, I know they had one too. I think I don't know if it was just I was probably for just for the mobile one because it makes more sense that way. But they had when you open a new tab in Chrome, before it would show like the number next to the little square box of the number of tabs open, and then one of the beta releases they took away that number, and people are like. Where did the number go? And they're like, oh yeah, they took it away. And it's like, why? I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to see how many tabs are open. So then the next update, they brought it back. Yeah. But I, it was kind of like one of those like small changes that you know, yeah, because of, I don't know, it was I guess it was it was it was the developers making the change. It wasn't necessarily open source changes, but it's a dynamically always updating kind of thing that something changes and then people say, well, that was a useful thing to have. So then they bring it back the next the next update. I get why they did it because it looks a lot simpler, but in terms of usability, it, obviously the trade-off for most people is that they'd rather have the number. Yeah. That's it, yeah. That's, I noticed that too. That so, was, the, was that just the beta, or was that the main version too? Pretty sure it was just the beta. Okay. Yeah. The one that went to material design. Yeah. So should we talk about some of the benefits of open source? We should talk all about the benefits of open source. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, I would say the first... First and foremost, it is free of charge usually. Like, I mean, you have to download it, and that costs, like, electricity and data usage and stuff like that, but it's free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what we have to say about that. that... But no, there are, there are companies like... Uh... Sorry, go on. No, 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 you go. Um, I'm thinking, like, Ubuntu, because that's what I know most about. Uh, they're actually releasing their main operating system uh, free, but they actually make money by offering tech support contracts. So you can your uh, your head tech guys will have access to really high level tech support, and then you can give you know office support to your you know cubicles who need browser support or open office support or whatever, or, you know, word processing, but it's not nearly as expensive. But uh, most studies I've read on the case, or case studies I've read about, has seen a 70% reduction in uh, overall IT costs just because it's such a stable operating system and it costs so much less. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a move... In Europe, it hasn't happened a lot in in North America at all. The move to open source software, people seem to love, especially in government, having this software that if if it's expensive, they feel like it's better. And so I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily a good way to go because I've used very very terrible uh, enterprise software, but that's the experience I've had is that government 
and big industry like that wants to pay for things so they feel like they're getting their money's worth. Like they've, if they've paid a lot, they feel like they're getting a really good product. Do you think that the reason tech support is better or cheaper is because you have more tech-savvy people using open-source software so they don't need as much tech support? Um, my or response stupid, or, is just Or dumb have... tech support, anyway. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that froze for me, so I don't know if I jumped in, like, in the middle of you talking. I paused for I a second. Have a, I, have, I gotta talk to the people in here about... Anyway, uh, I think it just costs less... I think the bulk of the cost reduction has to do with the fact that you're not actually paying for a license for every single piece of software you're buying. So in the standard office environment, you're either paying for, you know, a, a computer from Apple Inc., which is expensive but comes with a lot of the software you need, um, or you're paying for the hardware and then you know, a copy of Microsoft, a copy of Office, a copy of Internet Explorer, because you end up paying for it. But you you pay so many times for so many licenses, and if you can just get the licenses for free and only pay for the support you need, it ends up being a reduction in cost. <laughs> and there's also, like, they do specifically cite the fact that you have less server downtime and stuff like that, just because Ubuntu Linux in general is more stable than the alternative offerings. And as an aside, it's only when I started learning about the stability of Ubuntu and things like that that I started really disliking Apple more because I realized that most of the benefits that Apple was frequently citing were just benefits of a Unix-based operating system. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no denying that at all. They've, they've broken off a bit from that in the intervening time, but definitely their benefits are from Unix. Hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, you could, Nick, I know you're not going to do this, but you could credit Apple a little bit for making Unix more acceptable in the mainstream. <laughs> That's, uh, it's Nick painful for me to hear. Ah. <laughs> no! For people I, know, well, I mean, if we're talking about mainstream acceptance of Unix, yeah, probably Apple played a big role in that. But, I mean, industry and research institutions have embraced open source for a long time. Like, when you and, you and I worked on the same computing cluster in at the University of Ottawa, I believe, the, the Wookiee cluster, yeah. which ran on... Fedora Core 3, I think. Yeah. Because they found a version of Linux, and they made it work, and then they said, okay, never upgrade this ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the benefit of the long-term stable versioning of Linux, is that you get a version that's supposed to be consistent. What is it? What is the time period? Like 10 years and longer than that? Uh, for, it? for which? Because for long-term that was stable fun. versions. I have no idea. I think Ubuntu's is five years, but I mean, Fedora, Fedora could be supported for longer. But even then, I mean, you don't have to upgrade. Like no one's forcing you to do it. Sure, you're just not going to get official support. Yeah. The funny thing is, this whole open source issue, like being really great issue, 
also like the with uh, support and stability and all that. Windows XP was arguably so so stable and so successful for such a long time that when its support period ended, was it last year, last spring or yeah. something? Yeah, this like sure. what, fifteen years after it was released? <laughs> there, there was so much, I, so much vitriol from people that were still using it, and they they didn't like it. They were just used to it and fine with it. But see, so at least so much stuff broke. At least they went to Vista, which was bad, and then Seven, which was okay. So then, in that time of like, at least Seven was available to switch over to. Well, Eight XP. was available to switch over to by then. I know, but people don't want Eight; they want they want Seven because Seven's more familiar. True, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about Nick. You described Windows Eight here as an atrocity. I completely <laughs> disagree. No, no, I mean like the whole. Like they're they're shooting for a uniform experience across tablet and uh, phone desktop. Computer. Yeah, tablet, desktop, phone, everything. I mean, and it's just awful. Like, I in my opinion, it's you get so much more functionality if you just do it a different way. Like Ubuntu's Unity when it first came out, I wasn't the biggest fan, but they said, you know, we want a uniform desktop phone, tablet experience, and I'm like, I can see why this would work well on all those platforms. And they actually did what I felt was a good job of it. And then Windows 8 tried, and it, yeah. <laughs> although what I, although the, the thing that they do now, where if you hit the Windows key or Super key, it brings up, you know, you can easily search through all your files or folders or whatever. Um... I remember Ubuntu starting to do something like that. And I remember when it happened, or when it was about to happen, I made a tentative blog post title on Ubuntu's HUD, and I was going to say, like, you know, I think this you'll end up seeing this in mainstream computers because the idea that you can just hit a button and search all your files and folders and stuff like that in an almost separate screen, like it brings up a separate screen for it, or details. Yeah. yeah, an overlay. And I thought to myself, that is where everything is going soon. And then I saw the execution of Ubuntu's HUD, and I was like, no, no, I just, I don't think this is good enough. I don't think this is the way things are going to go. And then Windows 8 came out, and I was like, damn it! Yeah, the, the problem that I see with Windows 8 is people not being informed about how it works. And that's not, not to say that that's, that is a valid problem, but the way that I always use Windows 7 and that I still do at work is I hit, if I want to open a program, I hit the start key and I type in, if I want to open Outlook, I type in OUT and I hit enter. I don't even wait for the thing to populate. I hit Windows key, OUT, enter, and it opens. And on Windows 8, that doesn't change my workflow at all. I hit the Windows key, I type OUT, and I hit enter. So I didn't experience any hiccups at all in Windows 8. It was just the start menu is presented in a more visual and better way, which is, again, that's it's really good. Yeah. But I also think very... what's... Sorry, I also think what's holding Windows 8 back is that uh, Microsoft officially advises you to, uh, like, get their people to train your employees once you switch over to 8. Yeah. And so, like, every company ever is like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> We're just not going to upgrade because that is too costly. 
Yeah, I'd never because heard that. Was, sorry, I'd never heard that, but it's interesting that they do that. They've suggested that. Well, I've heard this from you know people in IT departments and stuff like that, and it's like, oh, you want us to just lose thousands of man hours on this? Great. No. <laughs> yeah. And so that's change. That's been part of the impetus for European companies to take up Ubuntu because they look at the fact that Microsoft is like, you should train your new employees on this, and they're like, or we'll just switch operating systems and be done with it. So, Rob, you note, look like you have something to say. <laughs> do you? I do. On that note, and I don't want to lose this train of thought. Um, I fear I have because I distracted myself by thinking about this. <laughs> it's interesting that... It, no, I have it again. Okay. So Linux, people in Europe going to Linux and thinking that you're going to need less training. The answer to everything in Linux is just open up a terminal and type this command <laughs> or copy this command in. That, I do, I've used Linux not as a primary operating system, but I dual-booted for a, a number of years. And I love Linux. I love being able to tinker around, and I love learning... What is it, C? No, it's... Uh, ba I learned a lot of bash scripting. And bash scripting is great. Yeah, it's really useful, but everything... The answer to everything on every forum you see with the Linux problem is just open terminal, paste this command blindly, and then paste this command, and then this one, and then you're done. And if it doesn't work, type sudo, and then paste that command. <laughs> <laughs> You know why they work. do that, though? It's great. I know why they do that. Well, no, the reason they do... Yeah, it's... Since the user interface changes generation to generation, they're like, well, if I give you these instructions, they're just going to be outdated in a few years. But yeah. if I give you the terminal commands... <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just... But yeah, you're right. Every instruction ever is, well, to fix this... You're going to start with Control-U, and that's going to bring up a terminal. <laughs> or Control-T. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't finished this coffee yet, guys. It's going poorly. I, that being said, I love, I do enjoy Linux. And I, there are, for instance, there are lightweight versions that you can put on USB, and you can boot Linux from USB. That's just, that's really cool to me. Have you ever done that? I have a USB in my desk that I, I haven't used it in a long time, but it has just a, a bootable version of Linux on it, yeah. I have, uh, for a while I was, I had a USB in my pocket that had Ubuntu on it. Yeah. I tried to do that with a Chromebook, actually, with Chrome OS. It didn't work as well, but <laughs> Well, you also have to consider that you're trying to run an entire computer off of a USB stick. Yeah, off of, yeah, flash storage, which it was... Yeah, I guess it was designed to do that, but not not in a peripheral way. Not something that you can just like pull out <laughs> immediately. <Yeah. laughs> Disconnect. Oh, I always wonder what would happen if you were running an operating system on USB and you just yanked the USB out. <laughs> <laughs> How much data would that corrupt? Would you be able to do it again? Well, I mean, it'd be bad for whatever's on the USB, but your computer will be fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My computer would be fine, but I don't I don't like the idea of destroying an entire operating system by like disconnecting two contacts or what four contacts that are on USB? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to? I want to talk about. Uh, we're we're getting up to an hour here, but I want to talk about the transition. And this kind of goes back to we'll talk a bit more about watches and wearing things, but the transition from 
work being done, first of all, work was done at a desk without a computer on it in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, before desktop computers were a normal thing, to work being done on a desktop, the traditional, like you're typing a lot, you're using productivity software, to now a lot of work is being done on a mobile device. Whatever, the, whatever that may be, if it's a tablet or if it's a phone or if it's something smaller than a phone, depending on the work you need to do, the workplace is transitioning to not needing not needing a desk and not needing a desktop computer. Um, yeah. You look like you have something but, to say, Nick. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us what you want to say? Well, I, I, I certainly shall, Mike. Um, <laughs> no, that's, you know, to continue the Ubuntu Fan Fest, this episode of Future Tech Chat, sponsored by Ubuntu, um, <laughs> they actually have a version of Ubuntu you can put on your phone, and they'll sell you a like a dock, you plug your phone into a dock that attaches it to keyboard, standard monitor, whatever peripherals you might have. And like that sounds like the scenario you're describing. You just walk around with a, a phone with an operating system on it. You plug that phone into a dock, just do your standard office work, and then go home at night. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's called the pad phone. Was it the, no, it was the Motorola Atrix that did that. The pad phone is a ta- it does that with a tablet. Well, it's a keyboard away from being what Nick just described. No, but the Motorola Atrix was actually a, that that thing you're describing. There was a dumb terminal that, that had a phone dock, and so you plugged your phone in, opened the laptop screen, and it was it was your phone, but it was... Oh, okay. How long ago was that? The Atrix was probably 2009, 2010. Okay, that's... Similar sort of time frames, I it guess. It was a very underpowered computer at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was running, it was running a phone chip, so it wasn't it wasn't super powerful, and that's why it didn't take off. Maybe yeah. among other reasons. Ubuntu demanded that you have a dual core phone for the purpose, but yeah. And I'm sure that phones now, especially phones like the Samsung Monsters or the I don't know if the iPhone six plus could handle it, but they could power. They you could power you could power a basic computer off of that. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe not a full powered operating system because again, those things those, some of those things are limited by RAM. Yeah. And just the paradigm we're used to in computing in desktop computing is having lots of windows and everything stays running all the time. Whereas the mobile thing is low power usage, it'll freeze the state of an app and keep it, but it and there are like. The latest version of macOS does that, where it will only give RAM and resources to a program that's visible, which I think is really cool. They had a demo where they had a web page that was running a really intense graphics, and then they moved iTunes over that window, like covered it up, and they had an activity monitor, and like the activity just drops down to zero when iTunes is covering that that active tab in Safari, mm. which is it's really cool, and it's that's a mobile type of thing, so it makes sense that everything is moving that way. And eventually, companies, forward-thinking companies like Asus is the one I can think of with their Transformer tablets and Apple and eventually Microsoft, I assume at some point, with their whole putting Windows 8.1 or Windows 9 or whatever it is next on everything, they're going to get to that point where you're going to have hardware that can that'll run stuff, but it doesn't necessarily need to be, like it can be a phone that's powering your system as opposed to yeah. needing a tower of a computer sitting there. Yeah. Well, I guess another note is that, you know, you, Rob, you have experience doing this 
and uh, you know I've, I've heard of lots of other people doing it as well that they'll use either a tablet or even a phone to remote connect to a desktop so that in in essence you're still working off your phone but the power is coming from your standalone server or computer or whatever and you're just you're, you're relying on the data connection to keep things smooth and low latency but if that's your limitation then you know for, for a lot of things like if I'm out of the office I'm not expecting things to be going the speed of if I was there but if I'm able to get things done then that's that's what you're looking for basically yeah. so I I have some very interesting anecdotes of remote working. There, there was talk actually in the Canadian government of doing that, of having a centralized server in the basement of a building, having everyone remote to virtual desktops. And so you don't need any hardware at an actual workstation. They would basically plug you in and you would log into the virtual thing. It would pop up a, a window or a virtual desktop and that's where you'd work. And they, they have executed that. Yeah, or they, they, executed. they did when I worked at CBSA. Okay, they had done that. Yeah, NSERC was looking yeah. into doing it, but it was a if it was a very small pilot, if it was anything. Um, so I have edited sitting in well outside my office after work. I I was waiting around downtown to to spend some time with friends. I remote edited a video because I knew that my MacBook was going to take longer to render, and I didn't need I didn't need to render the video locally. So I edited the video that was on my desktop computer at home remotely and then rendered it there because this is bigger, it's a lot faster, and I didn't necessarily want to have my laptop open while it was going on. So I did that, and then I uploaded it from, again, I logged back in when it was done, and I uploaded it from home again so I could just close my laptop when I was done, and i like, dust my hands off and leave. Of course you did. <laughs> it was so, like, that was the future of computing to me. Where you can close your laptop because it's just a, it's a, what's the word? A ho- like a, a medium a terminal host. Like a, it's just a device that is running what you're doing, but it's not the thing that's doing the computing. Yeah. It just it's where you can see what's happening on the actual computer. Yeah. It's like the cloud. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's my computer, I consider it to be my own personal server. In every way, it has all my media on it, it has all my videos, it has everything. And so I can open my laptop, which doesn't necessarily have files on it. I do keep files on it. I do do work on it sometimes, even video editing. But if I want to do something with with media, I usually will team view into my desktop and do the work from there. Mm-hmm. Again, if my if I have an internet connection, it's very low latency and it's... I was able to edit a video, so like with my headphones in, <laughs> I I was able to usefully edit a video, putting pieces together, even though I was listening on Bluetooth to a like a a connection that was coming from several kilometers, like ten kilometers to my office, and I was able to listen to the video seamlessly because the technology has gotten to the point that that's doable now. Hmm. I was going to say, in terms of, like, actual workflow happening, being away from where the actual work is done, you're you're describing my time with the Woo Lab, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah remember, I remember waiting around for someone at the mall once and just, like, opening up my computer, and I even, like, I think I used... I just set up my phone as a Wi-Fi hotspot briefly. Just, oh, like... Okay. Secure shelled into 
be like checked up on some stuff. <laughs> SSH is the best. Yeah, oh, it sure is. Yeah, I mean, Team Viewer is basically just a graphical SSH. Yeah, you and you can they they have file transfer protocol services too, where you can just drag and drop a file from your desktop onto your actual computer you're working on, or vice versa. But I I love that. Like hearing hearing that other people do that too is just so rewarding. That is where computing is going once people get the hang of it. We're not there yet, but getting there. Yeah. Once 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 our parents' generation starts dying off, then <laughs> our generation will be the on. <laughs> in the least morbid way possible. That's how I meant that. But... Is is there a non morbid way? <laughs> is is there anything else we want to talk about? We're we're past an hour now. Are you guys happy with where we left things? Yeah. Yes. Are you sure? All right, we'll I call think it we for need, today. We need an episode on on early adoption. <laughs> I know you think that. A whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was just listening to Rob talk about his iPhone. <laughs> I could talk about it for a long time. I won't, but I could. So I can't see your face anymore, Rob. I know, but everyone else can. So pretend. <laughs> oh, Rob, you look beautiful. <laughs> uh, look at those eyes. <laughs> now, now that we've given up the game, we're testing. Out, I'm testing out a Hangouts feature that apparently we'll we'll see if it works after this. But <laughs> no, because there's a button here now that when you're screen sharing, which is actually really cool on a Hangout on Air, there's a button where you can show up your screen share so we can see what it looks like, but you guys can't see what it looks like until I hit the button that shares it with the world. Oh. We'll find out if it works. And I love buttons. I love buttons. We all love buttons, I think. I can tell by your face that you love buttons. <laughs> I should put a picture of myself with like a thumbs up on this. <laughs> uh, so we'll point out... Uh, we'll, maybe we'll have a little discussion, but I'll point out right now uh, that you can find us on YouTube. We're, we're really happy to talk to you guys every week about this stuff. You can... Find us on Twitter at Future Chats. You can go to Facebook, type in Future Chat, and you'll find us. Uh, I really like that this is growing. We're actually seeing viewers and people are listening to the podcast and actually finding us on channels like Stitcher Radio where I haven't really talked much about the fact that we're there. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm liking where this is going, and uh, maybe we can talk now about what, what you guys think we should do next week for science. Any thoughts? Nope. <laughs> Short answer, no. <laughs> so I, I've, been wanting, I've been wanting to do medicine for a while. Is that interesting at all to you guys? Like alternative medicine? No, it's no, a like science chat. So pharmaceutical, <laughs> pharmaceutical industry. Is that of any interest to either of you? Yes. We can explore it. Okay. Anything else you guys... Want to throw it there? I want to do combustion engines. <laughs> if you want to, in, in, honor, in honor of Nick coming out west, <laughs> we could actually do an entire chat on engines. I think there's yeah. a lot to talk okay. about there. What, what we'll do, we'll we'll put that on the front burner. If people want to see that or hear that or however you consume this, let us know. 
we'll do that. How about that? And we'll we'll do it at some point. And if we get a response, we'll do it next week. We might do it next week, anyways. But Sounds we'll good. All right. Sweet. Any last words? Uh, Linux is freedom. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs> and uh, enjoy the week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Future Chat. <laughs> <laughs>